Hello everybody and welcome to the opening episode of the Sports Scoop podcast. I formed this podcast as an opportunity to to gain experience in the sports presenting and sports punditry field during my transition year in secondary school in Ireland. Um, I'm open to any form of constructive criticism since I am only learning the basis, basics of creating a podcast. I'm learning how to edit. I'm even learning how to prepare my own notes for a podcast. So I think it's pretty clear to see that I'm a, I'm a beginner, but I'm open to any form of constructive criticism as long as it's valid and worthy. Unfortunately, I won't be able to cover every sporting topic of the weekend. I'll only be able to cover maybe three or four as we are on a restricted time limit and I don't feel I can produce like my gracious quality of work if I'm let's say working on eight or ten topics and I feel three or four topics is a lot more sustainable but if you want to dig deeper into your sports knowledge I would recommend um, doing a bit of research on the BBC Sport or RTE Sports website. Websites, um, I apologise, as there's a lot of insightful resources on both of those websites to keep you entertained for the next number of weeks. And I think it's now about time that we introduce the topics we'll be discussing today. We'll be talking about Liverpool's win over Leeds on Sunday evening. In the US Open women's final between Emma Raducanu and Leila Fernandez, and the controversial Italian Grand Prix where title protagonist Mac Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton had obviously collided, and there's obviously been a lot of backlash following that. And obviously, the All Ireland final between Mayo and Tyrone, which ended in another heartbreaking defeat for Mayo but we'll expand on that later in the podcast. Anyway we're going to start with Liverpool's victory over Leeds in the Premier League. It was a complete performance from Liverpool. Sublime. It was hard to spot any flaws in that performance. There was maybe the first 15 minutes of the game. Leeds were on the same wavelength as Liverpool but whenever Liverpool found their feet, they gained their confidence. I think I think it was men against boys, and I think that was that was obvious after um, Mohamed Salah obviously bagged in with another league goal. I mean another one at around the twenty minute mark, which just highlighted his influence to that Liverpool team and how crucial he is to this like iconic Liverpool team. Whenever whenever this Liverpool team they need and let's say they're sluggish at the start of the game, they're lacking confidence and they're questioning themselves, they have that man, they have that striker, they have that talisman who can just score a goal from not much effort from a midfielder, which I think gives the squad an automatic boost, an automatic lift, and whenever a team is obviously happy mentally they will perform and there's not many players in sport that that do have that sort of aura about them where they can lift a team in the blink of an eye and there's not many of them in sport let's say there's maybe two or three other 
players who could do that in the game of football, let alone, for example, Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo. So there isn't many players in sport who are capable of that. And I feel Liverpool are very lucky they have that in Mohamed Salah. I also want to discuss um, Fabinho and Thiago's power partnership in the midfield, as it's been intriguing to watch over the last number of months. Obviously, whenever they got a, a good run of games together in the final 10 games of last season, they they were sublime alongside each other and they steered home Liverpool to a series of strong results, which resulted in the Reds finishing in the top four, which was a great boost for Liverpool at the time after quite a difficult season with injuries and COVID and suspensions and, suspensions and all of that. I apologise for a stutter there. But this Fabinho-Tiago partnership is just moving to watch almost as you have that defensive base with Fabinho who was was like he has incredible technical talent too but is is very competent defensively also and and as I said earlier he creates a nice space around like the defensive compartment of our team, which gives Thiago the license to, I think, freely create as a midfielder and freely freely attack, which obviously benefits the likes of, of Mo Salah, Sanio Mane, Diogo Jota. And I feel not many teams in the world have players of that calibre, but Liverpool are one of those teams who have them. And I think... In the midfields, that's where a lot of teams in world football at the moment are quite are quite weak. They don't really have those influential players in the midfield. And I think that's obviously one of Man United's main problems at the moment. Obviously, they have a very strong attack with Ronaldo, Rashford, Sancho, Greenwood. Endless names in the attack. But the midfield is questionable. Obviously, Bruno Fernandes is a great player at Cam. But they do struggle whenever they have to... They have to settle with playing players behind that midfield, such as Scott McTominay or Fred. And also, Paul Pogba can be a world-class player in his day, but he can be inconsistent. And it's more of a hindrance than a benefit whenever he's not having a good game. And I think it shows that not every team in the world has that world-class midfield, but Liverpool have that. And I think it's just a testament to to their success over the last number of years and probably their continued success over the next few seasons. And I think before we finish off of this game, I think we have to talk about Harvey Elliott's unfortunate injury. Harvey Elliott had a sublime start to the season, obviously a very impressive season on loan at Blackburn last season, where he proved to probably be their most important player where they competed for promotion to the Premier League. Unfortunately, they missed out. But Harvey Elliott was a crucial figure in that team and hasn't been forgotten by the Blackburn faithful. And he's continued those performances at Liverpool and has started in the first team on multiple occasions. And has proved to be the real deal as he's just a young, fearless midfielder who has the pace, he has the determination he has the flair, like he is a he is a flair player, as you would say, and he can he can he can pick through nice passes. He can take a good shot, and he has that confidence, and he has that sort of peacock attitude, as you'd say, where he isn't scared of taking a risk. 
he will take risks time and time again. He will back himself time and time again. And that is only going to make a young player improve. And that's why his injury was so unfortunate in the latter stages of, of Sunday's game, as he was obviously involved in a in a in a heavy challenge which resulted in him his ankle being dislocated, which was obviously a, a huge blow for him as he had to be taken to hospital following the game and had to travel to London today to undergo some surgery on his ankle. But the good news is that um Harvey Elliott came through that surgery with no complications and obviously should re- return to the pitch in the next three to six months. Obviously it's not an ideal situation for Harvey, but it's it's not as much as a blow as let's say a fourteen or a sixteen month injury, which a lot of young players are struck with those injuries on a regular basis. And those injuries can be soul destroying. They can break a career, but I feel a three to six month injury is I think it's much more I think the player has a much greater chance at returning to the level they once were at before the injury. And I feel Harvey should be back before the end of the season and I think within a few weeks he'll be he'll reach the level where he'll be back as his old self competing in the first team and impressing us all fans with his like incredible skill. And I think we're going to round off on Liverpool's win over Leeds. Um if I haven't mentioned before, um obviously Fabinho, who I've talked about before, scored a nice tap in before half time. And Sadio Mane, who had a tough day at the office, missing nine shots on target, obviously capped him a, a nice goal in the 83rd minute to secure the win for the Reds. And now it's time to move on to the US Open women's final, where we're going to be talking about um, the contest for the ages between Raducanu, Emma Raducanu, and Leila Fernandez. Um, we need to remember that both of these players are 18 and 19 years old, respectively, with Raducanu being 18 and Fernandez being 19, which means they've a, a younger combined age than Serena Williams has, who is 39 and is obviously considered one of the most accomplished players in women's tennis. And I think that is just a testament to how many young talents are getting an opportunity in professional sport and also on that world stage level to prove that they do have the talent to compete and they also have the work rate and they have the perseverance to compete with the very best. And I think it's just wonderful to see. It is wonderful. Um, Obviously, I think the main talking points of the game were, obviously, I feel, I think Radakanu, she has like a, a charm and charisma that I feel carries her through the tough moments in the game and also makes her sort of fly through those good moments, those sort of high moments in the game also. And I think whenever a young player has that amount of comp- like sort of confidence and is willing to back themselves that far, they do tend to win games on a regular basis and they do tend to cut it against the very best. And I feel that can make a lot of, let's say, senior players to them who are of an older age feel a bit of feel a bit unsure of themselves whenever there's a faultless young player who is as, as confident as, as you can be coming up against them and 
I feel that's the huge benefit that young talents are finding at the moment is just it's just confidence and self-belief and a lot of these like young players are making it to the very top and we haven't seen that before in sport and it's really exciting and I feel it is that just that that charm that charisma that confidence that per- perseverance that I feel carried Raducanu through that US Open tournament but I feel before we finish off on that we need to talk about um, Leila Fernandez's tenacity, her fighting spirit and her persistence is very, very admirable, along with her world-class tennis talent. She may not be as talented as Radicanu, but that tenacity, that fighting spirit to take on anyone who who comes in her way and just to and and just to just to play like just to show the best version of herself on the court is it's just admirable for a person of such a young age. And the maturity she shows on the court is also beyond her years too. And I feel I feel it could have been a much more convincing victory for Radicano if it wasn't for Fernandez's tenacity and determination to keep to keep like picking away in those difficult moments where she could have as you would say, given in and given in to the pressure of Radicano, but she didn't. And she continued to like to put in a like a, a very respectable performance. And I think she gained a lot of plaudits over the course of this US Open tournament. And I think she has a great future ahead of her in tennis. Probably a multiple Grand Slam winner in the future, potentially even a world number one. I think we're all aware that Emma Raducanu is probably going to be world number one in the next 12 to 18 months. Will be world number one for a sustained period of time. Will win a significant number of Grand Slams. May, maybe even ch- like challenge the history books. And I think we're all aware of that. But I don't think we're really aware of Fernandez's talent. But I think, But I think we all can agree after Saturday's game that she has a very bright future ahead of her. Now I feel it's the I think I feel it's the right time to move on to the controversial Italian Grand Prix on Sunday afternoon. I think obviously the main talking point of that race weekend was obviously the clash between the two title protagonists, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton, crashing on the first turn at the Monza circuit. Um. Obviously, they they were behind the front runners at the time, and they were competing in in the midfield. And obviously, Hamilton, which which I believe had just come out from a pit stop, and they obviously were competing side by side. Coming into the first turn, obviously, I think Verstappen went a bit bold. Maybe he shouldn't have shouldn't have went for such an audacious move at the first turn of Monza. I think we're all aware of the risks there. And I feel whenever Hamilton was made aware that Verstappen was going for that audacious move, I feel he should have given left all the space and given all the respect to Verstappen. He could have and he didn't. And I feel it was just the, the collision of two monumental egos that resulted in quite a nasty accident for both drivers. 
obviously, um, Lewis Hamilton appeared to be um, slightly injured after the incident. It, it seemed that the the tyre of Max Verstappen's car, obviously, um, I think, sort of tapped his head for maybe a number of seconds. And I feel he's very lucky to have, I think, escaped relatively relatively uninjured from that as I feel a number of years ago he wouldn't have due to and I feel the reason he has escaped from that incident is due to the, the safety advances in Formula One over the last number of years which I think he can be very thankful of. And obviously but and then I think we also need to move on to I think the behaviour of both drivers after that accident and I feel the toxicity of this title right fight and the politics of it. Obviously, it is, like, I, I feel it is like a world championship competition for the ages. It's up there with those legendary, like, title fights between, like, Senna and Prost and Hunt and Lauda and Schumacher and Hill and Vettel and Alonso and all of them fights. Or I wouldn't say, I wouldn't, like, term them as fights, but let's say competitions. Hamilton and Verstappen is right up there, but I feel it's on the level of toxicity or politics that let's say a Senna Prost was on at this stage as obviously we have two strong-willed team principals in the middle Total Wolf of Mercedes which is Lewis Hamilton's team and Christian Horner of Red Bull which is Max Verstappen's team also in the middle of what appears to be quite a toxic title fight at the moment as obviously there was some concern for Lewis Hamilton's well-being after that crash and Max Verstappen did not appear to be anyways concerned for about Lewis Hamilton's condition after the incident and he obviously jumped out of the car full of his own importance and walked away without even checking on his opponent which I feel regardless of your opinion on that opponent is a. Uh, it's just it's 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 just like stooping low. I feel. I know competition is fierce. I know they're fighting for an like an unbelievable accolade, and considering it is the two best drivers on the grid, obviously Verstappen, the young like the young driver, and Hamilton, the old, experienced, famous driver, who has established himself as a legend. And I know the significance of this title fight, but. It's there is no need to not have not have the humility to to just to just even to check if your if your opponent has been injured or not, and maybe even refer your opponent to medical attention if they are injured. That is not a big ask, considering there is like a wealth of medical facilities around that circuit and all you have to do is basically check on them and, and basically contact a steward they're all over the circuit for some medical assistance if that was even needed and that's all he had to do and he did not do that and he walked away from the car full of his own importance and obviously had a slight outburst on the way back from the circuit which isn't admirable at all obviously um 
Lewis Hamilton was trying to make it quite clear after the race that he was injured in some shape or form. But I don't know how seriously you can take those claims, considering I think we know that Hamilton has been involved in a lot of political title fights in the past, obviously with Nico Rosberg a number of years ago, Fernando Alonso, Felipe Massa. I think we know that Hamilton can get, like he obviously does, read into the politics and he can be quite a divisive and political figure. When it does, when we obviously, whenever the sport doesn't move, like moves into such an intense situation and I feel obviously on Sunday Hamilton was trying to make it very clear that he suffered an injury in that crash I wanted to make that very clear to the media and very clear to the newspapers but what I have found suspicious in the last number of days following following on from the race is Lewis Hamilton's appearance at the Met Gala in New York, obviously on Monday night, which was only one day after the race. And if he was, as you would, as per se, injured in the accident, I, I don't see how he would be able, how he would be fit enough to fly from Italy to New York, which is a long-term, like a, a long-haul flight. And also, attended events that has such like has such a presence in the media and obviously there will be a, a large presence of celebrities there too and obviously that comes with a lot of pressure and I feel a person who was injured only 24 hours before that is now fit and able to attend to attend such a significant event I feel that that injury was probably taken slightly too seriously in order in order for the media to, to favour him obviously in the papers following the race and I felt he did quite a good job on that but I feel it's obviously been followed up with now quite a severe quite a as you would say controversial storyline as he now jets out of the jets out to the Met Gala Awards twenty four hours after being so called quite badly injured in a severe accident in a motor race, and whenever you analyze the situation, I don't think you can you can take his comments that he made on Sunday overly seriously and obviously that can open up open up a can of worms because I think everyone has their own opinion on this but that is my personal opinion I know there will be people with other opinions on the incident but that is my personal opinion now I feel before we finish off on this topic I feel it's fitting to talk about um, Daniel Ricardo's wonderful victory it was beautiful Obviously, after being through such a, like I'd say, such a tumultuous period in his career over the last two or three years, obviously a disappointing final season at Red Bull in 2018 and obviously 
obviously that disappointing season at Renault 2019 and obviously all the strings attached with his move from Renault to McLaren in 2020 and obviously getting started off at McLaren in 2021 and struggling in that car and being beaten by his young teammate Lando Norris and a lot of blows for that for the Australian driver over the, la- over the last number of years and it felt like how much more can a man take before he is broken and obviously he has taken a number of blows in the last number of years but obviously I feel the po- positive energy that he carries with himself and I think anyone who knows him as a sports person will be aware of that positive energy that he ca- that he sort of carries with his personality regardless of what happens is is I think it's just a breath of fresh air for sport and I feel is one of the main reasons that she's obviously come out of this difficult phase stronger and has obviously went on and and won a race after this and obviously let that McLaren team who have struggled over the last number of years to a victory for the first time in nine years, which is obviously wonderful for them. And obviously big credit to Lando Norris, second place, obviously rounding off a 1-2 for McLaren on the day. And I feel that was great just for Ricardo and just for McLaren in general as a team after so, after the blows they've gone through over the last eight or nine years. And the difficult periods they went through with obviously uncompetitive cars and also controversy with Fernando Alonso and having to prepare for life without him as a team. And obviously the team changing hands and the departure of Lewis Hamilton. And a lot has happened in that team over the last eight or nine years. And I feel it's wonderful to see them come out the other side with a race win and also putting them putting themselves in the shop window for competition in 2022 so i think it was absolutely wonderful to watch at the weekend and i hope we see more from daniel ricardo from mclaren in the future now i feel before we finish off we're going to enter into our last topic and that is obviously the all ireland football final between mayo and tyrone i felt that i felt the the final was an intriguing contest it was engaging i enjoyed it but unfortunately for mayo i felt they were overwhelmed by the occasion also there was a lot of media attention on mayo since um, i'm sorry there and um, let's start start again since they haven't won the all Ireland championship in 70 years and they're obviously under a lot of media pressure and there was, a, there was, I'd say, a lot of hype around this Mayo team leading up to this game, which I felt negatively affected them. Also, whenever you consider the funeral curse, which has become quite prominent in Irish culture over the last number of decades, and I don't feel that positively inf- like influenced the Mayo team ahead of this game. And I feel in those crunch moments, they lacked ruthlessness, and they, and they just weren't clinical enough whenever... They had shots on goal, especially in that whenever they they were awarded a penalty just after half time, which was I think an ideal opportunity to to put themselves in a prime position to win that championship, and they missed that penalty, and they missed numerous chances to score points, 
throughout that game. And I feel, obviously, it was a five-point difference between Tyrone and Mayo on the day. And I feel, whenever we look back, it was those crunch moments where Mayo just didn't take their chances and Tyrone defended astutely, intelligently, and they capitalised from all of all of Mayo's shortfalls on the day. And also, a big congratulations to Tyrone. Like honestly, big congratulations to them. They came in as significant underdogs into the game. There was very little to zero media attention surrounding Tyrone before the game. They sort of came in to the game as sort of, like, let's say a bit of a sidekick to Mayo. They were sort of considered, like, they were sort of the opposition that Mayo would need to get past to win their first All-Ireland Championship in 70 years. But they did not prove to be that at all. They proved to be an incredible team. And they turned up on the day. And they prepared in, I think, the most professional form possible. And they did not let the occasion get, get to them mentally. And they and they just turned up and produced a complete performance for a team that has obviously struggled over the last number of years since their defeat to Dublin in the All-Ireland final in 2018. And I feel they, they turned up, they turned up on the day as underdogs and just just did everything everything they possibly could have done right, they did do right. They may not have the talent of Mayo, but they they performed better tactically, I believe. And I feel they they turned they they also they also they are they were also fearless of of the result either way. They I feel I felt they played with like a fearless passion, not an emotional passion, a fearless passion, which was wonderful to see. Because a lot of I think there's been many teams in sports and over the last number of decades who've been overwhelmed by emotional passion and that has obviously limited them from obviously fulfilling their potential but Tyrone sort of played with that fearless passion that zest that excitement and it was incredibly I think moving to watch and it was admirable to see a team playing playing at that level while well while not while not sort of coming across as structured or or dull as you would say Tyrone just played with a fearless passion along with following an astute and intelligent game plan and I think fair play to them. It was a very, very strong performance. It was close to complete and I feel well-deserving champions of the All-Ireland Football Championships this year and I feel I think the most inspiring thing about this Tyrone team is that it's sort of been a step-by-step process for them. They obviously started off the year in quite a difficult position. Obviously, they, they obviously have Fergal Logan coming in as a new manager. And they sort of started from rock bottom. And they obviously sort of built up step-by-step. Step. 
and then I have to take a few backward steps and then obviously took a few forward steps and then they just took that giant leap before the final which is obviously landed them in in the situation where they are now as all Ireland champions obviously there'll be a lot of expectation on them next year and I feel the coaching team they have around them I don't think the Tyrone players will be programmed programmed to feel overwhelmed or complacent I think they obviously will enjoy this wonderful victory for them for their team but I don't think they will be they I don't think they'll be overwhelmed by all the pressure or they will become as you would say arrogant by all the praise from the media and from the fans I feel Fergal Logan is a top class manager and I feel obviously the first day of the 2022 season I feel it'll be tracked back to the drawing board and back to finding the level they found in that All-Ireland final back obviously in September 2021 we're obviously speaking in the future so probably speaking in a period between January or February 2021 but I'm just trying to explain I think the excellence of this this Tyrone team, which I feel stemmed from the coaching mechanisms of this, I think, world-class coaching team. And before I finish off in this All-Ireland final, I just want to congratulate them on their victory and obviously a huge commiserations to Mayo. I obviously do sympathise with Mayo because I feel it's about time that they win an All-Ireland Championships, but I feel the tactical plan and the psychological preparation I don't feel is up to scratch to win an to, to win an All Ireland title in the twenty first century and I feel there will need to be improvements in those fields if they want to obviously achieve that in the next number of years. Now I think we have obviously went through our four main topics for this podcast and I felt it was an honour to obviously educate people about sports over the last maybe like 30 or 40 minutes and I hope everyone who has been watching this podcast has enjoyed it. I, I apologise if I'm a bit stuttery at times or a bit nervous or as you'd say a bit unsure of myself a lot of it is I'm trying to prepare myself in the most professional way possible to produce, I think, the most elite content I can produce for like, for, for my listeners as, as much as I can. And I, I hope, obviously, you've enjoyed my analysis on these these four topics which I feel were I think the most interesting topics to speak about in this weekend in this weekend of sport I feel before before we leave I feel I feel I feel it's the right I feel it's the right time to get to obviously get into a bit of post podcast housekeeping so I feel I'm going to maybe give everyone a preview into what we'll be featuring in the next podcast. I'm unaware of when that podcast will be released, 
Um, obviously, I have a free day on Thursday, so I have, I have time to record a podcast, and maybe over the weekend or maybe the start of next week that will be released. So without further ado, and um, why not? Uh, why not? I make you make all my viewers aware of what what will be featuring on the on the upcoming podcast. So we'll be we'll be talking about the Champions League. We'll be predicting the Champions League for the 2021-2022 season. They will be streamlined predictions. So, for example, the winner, the finalist, the semi-finalist, obviously surprise package, top scorer, player of the tournament, all of that, rather than the, as, as rather than the monotonous like group stage, round of 16, quarterfinal, semi-final predictions, which I feel take far too long to complete and also become monotonous for a listener. And especially if you were trying to like expand your interest in sport, um, um, let's say a 30-minute, like, I think, fairly dull section of predictions will not be appealing to people who are trying to like gain interest in in sport. So I feel it will be it will be sort of engaging and shortened compared to like enough to like the majority of predictions that you will see like you will see online, let's say on YouTube. Which I which I hope all of my listeners enjoy as I will be pulling up pu- putting in a large amount of effort into that and now I think we also want to preview the new rugby season coming up which is also very exciting and um, obviously the United Rugby Championship will be starting up which is a new rugby championship which obviously consists of the the elite club rugby sides from from Ireland from Wales from Scotland from Italy and from South Africa and obviously this is the first time that we've had 16 elite club sides compete for the accolade and I feel it's probably a fitting occasion to maybe talk talk through some of the conditions of that tournament and maybe some of the teams to watch out for and, especially, and maybe even a few of the players that will be participating in the tournament even to watch out for, as I think if anyone has not watched rugby before, I feel if you want to if you want to watch world class players play at the highest level in Dublin, you could obviously this United Rugby Championships gives like I feel the standard fan that opportunity to watch, let's say, world class players from South Africa or Wales coming over to play in Ireland against let's say the likes of Leinster or Munster in the United Rugby Championship match, which I feel will be obviously a hugely exciting occasion for a lot of young fans trying to gain an interest in the sport. Obviously, there will be the usual European competition with the Heineken Champions Cup, which obviously will consist of the best professional rugby club teams in Europe. And then also later on in 2021, we'll have the November Internationals, which will consist of obviously 
the the tier one and tier two international international teams in rugby, and that will obviously consist of the tier one teams being obviously the New Zealand All Blacks. I presume the majority of our listeners have heard of them before. Obviously, Ireland, South Africa, England, Wales, France, Scotland, Japan, Argentina being known as sort of the tier one nations. And then obviously the tier two nations being known as Fiji, Italy, Tonga, Samoa, the the United States and Canada. And we'll thankfully be having a few intriguing contests across Europe, Europe in those games over the next number of weeks, which will be exciting. And then I think before um, then I think before we finish off this podcast, I feel I feel it's also time to to discuss about a significant documentary that'll be released on Netflix tomorrow, which will obviously entail which will obviously I think describe the life of racing legend Michael Schumacher. Obviously it's a very sensitive and upsetting topic to talk about, considering Whenever, uh, considering the accident that obviously took place in 2013, but obviously if we're to distract ourselves from that, obviously, like, very dev- like devastating accident, and we're obviously to talk about the, I think, intriguing career and the intriguing personality of one of, I think, the, the actual, like, the most, one of the most iconic sports people ever to have competed and I feel it'll be a really interesting watch for 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 like any sports fan, not exact not exactly a racing fan, just a sports fan in general. It'll be an interesting watch for just a sports fan to I think consume themselves in such a complex sport and such a complex mind and such a, a complex competitor who was always willing to push himself on the limit to I think make the like get the most he could out of the talent and the, and the potential he had, and I feel it's an interesting watch. Even if you aren't a sports fan and you want to find a little bit of a sneak peek into what such an exclusive and such a controversial sport is like, and what it's like to compete in that sport, and what it's like to be at the very top of it. So my plan with in refer in ref, when we're referring to that documentary is maybe uh, obviously carrying out a slight review of that documentary maybe over the that the, the next number of days when the next podcast is released so we'll obviously be talking about the strong point of the documentary what was positive what did we enjoy and also the negative compartments of the documentary things where we felt we wanted to learn more or also areas where areas we didn't really enjoy or we didn't find entertaining or we we may have found slightly upsetting so obviously there'll be the positive and negatives of this documentary and i feel it'll be interesting maybe to review that documentary later on in the week anyways i feel it's it's time to finish off in this first episode of the Sports Scoop podcast. I hope everyone thoroughly enjoyed this podcast. 
obviously I apologise if I obviously come across as slightly nervous but I feel a lot of you may understand that this is my first episode and I'm obviously trying to learn the ropes and there's obviously a fair amount of self-doubt involved with that and I, I, I hope that is understood um, to I think to the most like as much as like a viewer can possibly possibly understand that but I think what I really what I really hope that I, everyone got at least one thing out of this podcast something they that has benefited them for the better in this day like let's say whenever you're listening to this podcast may it be in the morning or the afternoon or the evening that they there was something that benefited them something that positively influenced them from this podcast and I hope I continue I, I can continue to obviously bring positivity into people's lives and also to create a community of people obviously interested in sports and interested in learning more about sports anyway I need to thank everyone for the support on this podcast as um, I feel if I didn't have if, if nobody was supporting the po- this podcast I probably wouldn't I wouldn't be motivated to produce it and I think without further ado um I will see I will I will talk to to like my listeners in the next number of days and I think thank you for the first episode